Can you hear me now? Oh, good. Okay, today we're going to be reading from Genesis 1, if you guys want to turn there. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subjugate it and rule over it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to all the animals on the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that moves on the ground, to everything in which there is the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And he validated it completely. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. Morning. I remember back in 2007. In 2007, I just graduated from, from Carolina, and I was getting ready to go to China uh, as, a, as a missionary. I was getting ready for a career in full-time ministry. And about that same time, I had a friend who was my friend in the college group uh, at our church, and around the same time that I was getting ready to move to China to be a, a, a missionary, my friend Jeremy was his name. He had graduated from NC State, and he was about two or three years into his career at Caterpillar working as a mechanical engineer. And I remember talking to Jeremy that summer as he was kind of getting his, uh, finding his bearings in his career as a mechanical engineer. I'm getting ready to move overseas to be, a, to be in full-time ministry and Jeremy and I had conversations several times where he would say things to me like, I just wish that my job meant something. I just wish that the work that I did was meaningful. And he would say, I mean, you're going to, you're moving to, to China to tell people about Jesus, and that's awesome and so clearly a part of God's will, but... All I do, this is what he would say, he would say, all, all I do is just make stuff that digs. I make stuff that digs, and then things that dig, I try to make them dig better. He would hang his head. And, and, and he was discouraged. And, you know, for, for Jeremy, it, it was tough because the typical answers that you find in church, and maybe you've heard these before, is, well, how do you glorify God through your job? Well, you... Um, you know, you, you, you don't have an affair with somebody in the office, right? You, you don't lie. Um, you know, you're, you're honest. And yeah, you kind of, you, you make money and give it to the church. And, and then, you know, you try to share the gospel with your, with your coworkers. But, but for Jeremy, that was still, it still left him with this feeling of, I just wish that my, my work meant something the way it seems like Ryan's work going to be a missionary overseas means something. 
I wonder how many of you have felt similarly to, uh, to my friend Jeremy, that you feel like it's hard to connect what you believe about, about Jesus with the work that you're doing between, between nine and five or, or whenever it is that you're, that you're working. Anybody ever felt that way before? You know, the, the thing is, last week we talked about this idea, like Matt was saying, that God's our creator, which means, as we talked about last week, he's not Dumbledore, he's J.K. Rowling. He owns the copyright over us. That means he gets to tell us whatever we should do, which means we don't come to God and say, God, here are my plans, please make these things happen for me. Instead, what we do, we come to God and we say, God, here's my life. You own the copyright of me. Let me do whatever you, whatever you want me to do. But the problem is that for many of us, and I would guess for many of you might be feeling this way, there's about a 40 or 50 or maybe even 60 hour a week chunk of your life that feels like it's hard to know what it looks like to be giving that to God if you're not in full-time ministry. And that's a problem. That's a problem because if we are going to worship God, not just here on Sunday morning, but every day, every minute of every day, every hour of every day throughout the week, we're going to have to figure out how we can worship God in our work, not just in spite of our work. Does that make sense? How can we worship God in our work, in the work that we do, in the work that you do, between 9 and 5 or whenever you do your work, not just in spite of your work? That, well, just don't let your work take too much time so you can't volunteer at the church type of a thing. So that's what we're talking about today. Today we're looking at Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And what we're going to see is we're going to see two things. The first thing we're going to look at is that human beings, out of all that God made, human beings, man and woman, humanity, are the only creatures to whom God gives a job description. We're going to look at humanity's job description. And the second thing we're going to look at is how can you, in your job, whatever, whatever type of work that you do, what does it look like for you to worship God in your work, not just in spite of your work? Okay. So first of all, let's look at humanity's job description. This is the, uh, the passage that we just heard read a second ago. So when God comes to, to make man, he says, let us make man in our image and after our own likeness. And then in verse 27 and verse 28, and we'll get down at 28, well, nope, going back to 27, God created man in his own image. Now, what is this talking about? That human beings were the image of God. Well, last week we said that if you want to understand Genesis, you have to understand that Moses, who's writing Genesis in about 1500 B.C. or so, that Moses is writing in the midst of a culture war. And it's a culture war because the Babylonians, the Egyptians, they have all these pagan different understandings of who God is and who we are. And what Moses is saying is that if you want to be faithful as God's people, you have to get rid of those misunderstandings, and you have to renew your mind by learning who God really is and learning who you really are. Now, uh, the Egyptian kings, the Babylonian kings, the kings in the land of Canaan, which is where Moses is leading the people to, very often the kings in that part of the world at that time, 
the king would call himself the image of God. So the king would say, hey, God put me as his representative here on the earth, which means you should do whatever I say. You should give me all your money and you should listen to all my commands and let me do whatever I, I want to do, right? So that was something that the kings would say that we are, as the king, you know, the king would say, I'm the image of God on the earth. I'm God's representation here on the earth. But look at what, look at what Moses is doing when he says that God made not just one man, but humanity, the word Adam, which we can translate either Adam or mankind. It means all of humanity. Not just men, but men and women, male and female, and not just the kings, but everybody in his image. Look at what Moses is saying. He's saying that God democratizes the image of God. Do you see that? That each and every single one of us, regardless of what type of work we do, regardless of what our status is, that each and every single one of us is the image of God here on the earth, which means that we are the, we're the kings and queens, humanity, we are the kings and queens that God has placed on the earth to rule over and to take care of everything that he's made. Look at what else it says. Okay, so if our job title is image bearer of God, well, what's our job description? Look at what it says um, in verse 28. He says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fill the earth. This is about more than just having a lot of babies, <laughs> okay? Um, what God is saying here is that I don't just want humanity in one garden. He said, I want human beings, I want you, my image bearers, my kings and queens, to spread out and create communities and civilizations all over the face of the earth. I want there to be cities and cultures and civilizations and communities in every place that I have created. So number one, image bearers of God, what do we do? We fill the earth. The second thing that we do, he says, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and everything that moves on the earth. So what God's saying is, I want you to fill the earth, create civilizations, and second of all, I want you to rule over creation. These words subdue or have dominion, these are basically the word for what a king does. A king rules over a particular territory. He brings it into submission to himself and then, and, and then leads it according to, to his will. And, and that's what God is saying, that we're supposed to rule as his image bearers, as his kings and queens that he's placed here on the earth to rule over his creation according to his will. He wants us to, to subdue and have dominion to rule over his creation. Well, uh, it's easy to understand this. Um, it's easy to misunderstand this, actually, that this is talking about creation as an enemy. Okay, you're supposed to subdue it like, you know, creation is creation's fighting against you and you have to, you know, you've got to lay the smack down on creation. Right? That's not what God's talking about. The, when it says subdue and have dominion, what this is talking about is not defeating an enemy, but instead harnessing the raw potential that there is in the material world harnessing the potential of creation in order to produce human flourishing and flourishing of all life. 
harnessing the potential of the earth to produce the flourishing of life. So basically what God's saying here is that he has not put us on this earth to be park rangers. This is, a, this is Tim Keller's language. He says, God hasn't put us here to be park rangers. You know what a park ranger does? A park ranger just maintains things as they are. Make sure nobody messes with the trees. Make sure nobody kills too many animals. Right? Just don't touch anything. Right? Don't leave stuff laying around. We're not park rangers. They're just supposed to preserve creation as it is. And at the same time, we're, we're, neither are we supposed to exploit creation, like you might think of a greedy person that just says, oh, you know, pave over the rainforest and, you know, put a target there or something like that. We're not, we're not park rangers and we're not supposed to exploit creation. We don't just preserve it when we don't exploit it. Instead, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be gardeners. We're supposed to be gardeners. What does a gardener do? A gardener cultivates the ground. A gardener works the ground. A gardener changes the ground, but not in a way that destroys the ground, but in a way that makes the ground be more fruitful. And that's what God is, is telling us to do, that he started this work of organizing, creating life, creating beauty, and then he, instead of ruling over it himself, he passes it off to, to you and me for us to continue as that type of a gardener to keep cultivating and bringing more and more flourishing and fruitfulness out of his creation. Does that make sense? Okay, so what is, this is our job description. What does this mean? You know, I said at the beginning, if we're going to help my friend Jeremy, and, and I'm guessing that many of you might have a similar kind of uh, issue and a similar struggle, how do I connect my work and my faith, we're going to have to learn how not just to worship Jesus in spite of our work, we're going to have to learn to worship Jesus in our work and through our work. What does this look like? So Martin Luther was a church leader way back in the, the 1500s. He was a German uh, priest who was one of the main leaders in the Protestant Reformation. And one thing that Martin Luther did, like one of his main soapboxes, and you might not have heard this before. You may have heard of Martin Luther. I don't know if you've heard this before. One of Martin Luther's main soapboxes was that he said, all work is spiritual work. Priests and pastors and nuns and monks are not more spiritual than people who milk cows, people who plant fields, people who build houses, and you're not closer to God either than people who do these types of jobs. See, at that time, most people thought of, you know, manual labor, work, what we would typically think of as work, that that was kind of beneath a civilized person. That was kind of their attitude. You know, we, we hire slaves to do that type of stuff, what was, was the attitude. So that the, the civilized people can think about philosophy and think about theology or think about um, I think about things like that, prepare sermons and write songs and stuff like that. But what Martin Luther was saying is that all work is God's work. And what he says is that in every form of legitimate work, so, I mean, not talking about 
things that are, that are evil, like sex trafficking or, or like you know, being a hitman or something like that. But, but any form of work that's legitimate work, in every form of legitimate work, you can find God working through the worker. Martin Luther says that whenever you're doing legitimate work, you are acting like God's hands and feet. That God is continuing his work of cultivating and developing creation through you. Okay? Well, what does this look like? What, how, do we, how do we connect these things? How do we find God's work inside of, of our work? Or how do you find God's work inside of your work? Well, let me give an example. So I, I started with my friend, my friend Jeremy, who a mechanical engineer. He's working for Caterpillar, making things that dig, right? God is a God that builds things and designs things that work. God is a God that designs can't really even say machinery. It's more than machinery, right? But God, for lack of a better word, these machines, and not machines, but you know what I'm saying. God designs things that work. Think about human beings. If human beings have proper nutrition, in other words, are able to eat continually from the tree of life, like we'll talk about next week, human beings are designed to live forever. That's an efficient design. Human beings, all, all of our waste is biodegradable. All of our natural waste is biodegradable, right? That's an efficient design. And so, for my friend Jeremy, or if you're a mechanical engineer, when you are making machines, or you're making systems that work efficiently, that last longer, that have less of a negative effect on the environment, that are more user-friendly and easier to operate, you're doing the work of God. Look at what, in Genesis chapter 2, when God forms, when God forms man, it says in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, it says he forms man out of the, the dirt of the ground. So you see, the image here is God, not a God who's like too good to do manual labor, but a God who's getting his hands dirty. What is God doing? He's digging, right? He's digging. Think about my friend Jeremy. Oh, all I, all I do is digging. It's just not important like sharing the gospel. Um, this morning I had breakfast. And if it wasn't for the grocery store, I couldn't have gotten the food to have breakfast. If it wasn't for the people who built the grocery store, I couldn't have gone to the grocery store to get the food. If it wasn't for somebody very likely using a machine that Jeremy or one of his colleagues at Caterpillar designed, digging up the ground and helping move the ground from here to there, they wouldn't have been able to lay the foundation to build the grocery store so I can go and buy food so that we can have breakfast as a family. So Jeremy is feeding me. That's how important what his work is doing. That's, he's doing God's work. God is feeding me through a mechanical engineer. 
Let me give another example. So uh, think about a civil engineer. Okay, a civil engineer. So when God, we talked about this last week, God hovering over the blank canvas of creation. And it says he looks at something that's empty and disordered. But God looks at this empty chaos, and what does he see? He sees potential, and he cultivates it, and he organizes it, and creates a beautiful garden, and he creates a new world where all different types of life, man, woman, animals, and humans, can live together in harmony. So what do civil engineers do? A civil engineer looks at a a field, just an empty field or, a, or kind of a, a, a messy forest or something like that, and says, and, and they see a potential to create communities, to create something even more beautiful, to harness the raw potential of the trees and the nature and all those types of things to build neighborhoods, to build gardens, to build communities, and to help support the flourishing of, of life. So if you're a civil engineer, you're creating communities, you're helping design, uh, building projects and things like that, that's God working through you. You're being the hands and the feet of God. I'll give another example. So let's say you're a homemaker. You're a homemaker. So the Bible is clear that God is the one who creates life and who sustains life. God is the one who provides for all of our needs. God is the one who feeds us. So my wife, Lindsay, is a, is a homemaker. So when she's just doing the, the simplest thing, when she's preparing a meal, she's feeding God's people. That's what God does. God is working through Lindsay to feed me and to feed our, our, our children. Think about, you know, correcting or disciplining a child. Well, that's what God says he does. God is the one who shows us the way that we should walk. But when, when a parent is shepherding their child, disciplining, disciplining, correcting, teaching their child, that's not just some arbitrary task. That's doing the work of God. Think about even something that sounds as silly as like rearranging the furniture in the house. Okay? You ever did that? I did that recently. You kind of rearrange the furniture. You think, man, if, if we kind of put this couch here, or if we, you know, we, we slide this, uh, this dresser over here, and we put this rug here, and hang this picture on the wall there, it, it's going to make it more, it's going to make it feel more like a home. It's going to be more conducive to sitting here and enjoying time together. It's going to be more comfortable to, to interact in. That's what God does. That's what God does. God creates the beautiful, peaceful garden so that man and woman can be, can be there to enjoy his creation. So if you're a civil engineer, if you're a mechanical engineer, if you're a homemaker, you're doing the work of God every bit as much as a missionary is. I'll give another example. So imagine you're a graphic designer. Do you know that God is an artist? God is an artist. You may know him from some of his works like The Sunset <laughs> or Mount Everest or The Beach 
right? God is an artist. God makes things that are beautiful. He doesn't just make things that are functional. He makes things that are functional, like a mechanical engineer, but he also makes things that are beautiful, like a graphic designer or like an interior designer. And so, as a designer, when you make things fit together in a way that just looks right, that feels beautiful, you're doing the work of God. God is working through you. Think about if you're in business. This can be a tricky one. Sometimes we just think, oh, businessmen are just greedy and, and, and whatever. They're the people that pave over the rainforests and build targets or, or, or whatever. But, but think about what business is. So have you ever realized that God is an investor? In Genesis 1, we see that God is an investor. Have you noticed that before? So what's happening in Genesis 1? So God sees the raw potential in creation, and then he invests his resources. He invests his time. He invests his energy. And the result is you have a whole new world full of all different types of new life that didn't exist before. Well, what, do you, what does a good business person do? Well, so when, somebody, when you see a need that's not being met in the marketplace or in society or, or wherever, on the one hand, you see a need that's not being met. And then over here, you see some talents or you see some resources or you see some labor or some ability that would be able to meet these needs. And then you invest your, your resources, you invest your money to help this resource be leveraged to meet this need. And in the process, what happens? New jobs are created. New careers are created. Standards of living go up. Human flourishing increases. Needs are being met and gifts are being used. So the work of business is the work of God. It's God doing his work through you. Think about being a scientist. Okay, God created the world with order. He could, have, he could have created a chaotic world, but God's not a chaotic, a chaotic God. He's a God of order. So he created a world that makes sense, that we can understand, that is logical. And so as a scientist, when you study God's creation, when you're learning more about how God made the world and finding new ways that we can harness the potential of the world to meet needs, to solve problems, or create human flourishing, whether you're splitting a genome or whether you're looking at different chemicals or, or, or whatever the case may be, you're doing God's work. That's God working through you. Think about a software engineer. Okay, I was talking to a woman the other day who's a software engineer uh, at T-Mobile, or she's working on a project with T-Mobile. God designed us to be relational beings, that we, we work and we live and we collaborate in order to get things done. We do these things in interaction with each other. So if, if you're a software developer working with T-Mobile, what are you doing? You're creating these spaces and these platforms and these tools that people can use to store ideas, to store information, to share them with each other and, and, and to collaborate and be connected. You're facilitating, you're continuing, you're doing the work of God. Last one I'll give. Think about, think about management. I know some of you are in, in leadership roles. Maybe you're managing a team, maybe you're managing a company. 
Think about being a manager. God is the ultimate manager. God is the one, at the beginning of creation, he defines titles, spaces, and responsibilities for different parts of creation. This is what the sea does. Okay, this is what the sun does. This is what the moon and the stars do. This is how far the sea comes. This is, where the, this is where the vegetation grows. God is organizing. He's creating boundaries. He's telling different, different things and different people, in our case, where to go and what to do. God is being a manager in the same way. When you put people as a manager in the right roles, when you give them the training, the encouragement that they need so they can be more productive together as a team than they could be as individuals, Guess whose image you're reflecting in the world? The image of your creator, right? I try to choose these examples because, you know, maybe some jobs, like if you're a nurse or a doctor, if you're a teacher, it's maybe a little bit more obvious. You know, you heal people, you, you, you help people learn, things like that. But, but you could do this with any job, okay? I try to pick some that are a little bit tougher to kind of make that connection that we tend to kind of write off a little bit. But maybe you hear this and you think, I wonder how my job, I wonder how I could find the work of God, God working through me in whatever work that, that I'm doing. I, I'd love to talk to you. There's a great book by Tim Keller. It's called Every Good Endeavor. I encourage you to take a look at that if you're interested in more. But I, I'd love to talk to you. It would be really fun to brainstorm, hey, how does, how does God working through you in the work that you're doing on a daily basis? Well, in order to figure out how we worship God not only in spite of our work, but in our work. We said the first thing we need to do, we need to find God's work in our work. The second thing that we need to do is we need to do good work. We need to do good work. I'll go back to Martin Luther for a second. Um, so Martin Luther gave this famous example where he said, what does it look like for a Christian cobbler, a Christian, a Christian shoemaker? to do their work as worship to God. What type of shoemaker glorifies God if that person's a Christian? And Martin Luther says, the primary way that somebody who makes shoes glorifies God, it's not by, you know, taking a paintbrush and putting little crosses on the backs of the shoes, saying, these are Jesus' shoes. It's by making good shoes. Dorothy Sayers, uh, who's a, in the early part of the 1900s, is a Christian uh, writer and author. She says that Christian work is work well done. Christian work is work well done. So if you understand what we're, what we're talking about here, what we're saying is, is that you can glorify God in your workplace by having a good attitude, by avoiding temptation, by making money and giving it to the church, by witnessing to other people. Those are all completely legitimate, great ways to glorify God in the workplace. But it's not the primary way that you glorify God in the workplace. Because what we're saying here is that the work that you do is something that God finds valuable. Every bit as much as God finds being a pastor valuable or being a missionary valuable. And so because of that, it matters not just that we witness the people while we do our work, 
but that we do a good job at the work itself. Okay, so what could this mean? Well, think about this for a minute. God came to the earth the first time as a gardener. Second time, God came to the earth as a carpenter, right? What do you think it would have been like to buy a table from Jesus? Do you think that people would have said, man, that, that Jesus guy in Nazareth, he's a sweetheart, but this table is a little wobbly. I think he might need a career change, right? I don't think they would. I, I think they would notice, hey, he really cares about me. He, I mean, he seems to, to, really, to really love the people around him. He has a great attitude. But I think the main thing that they would notice is, man, you want to find a good table? I know this guy in Nazareth named Jesus, but you go see him. He'll, he'll get you straightened out. I bet Jesus made good tables. And so what this means is if you're a surgeon, okay, can you glorify God by praying for your patients before surgery and praying with your patients before surgery? Absolutely. But the main way that you glorify God through your work is by being a good surgeon, by staying up to date on the latest research, having a sanitized environment, doing your work with care and precision so that people are healed afterwards. Think about being a landscaper. If this is true, can you glorify God by plastering John 3.16 on the side of your truck if you're a landscaper? You can, right? But the main way that you glorify God if you're a landscaper is by doing a good job at maintaining God's creation by cutting the grass well, by planting good flowers, by using good fertilizer, by creating beautiful spaces. If you're a teacher, can you glorify God by displaying Christian paraphernalia around your classroom? You can, absolutely, and that's great. But the main way as a teacher that you glorify God is by mastering your material, and being competent and doing a good job at helping the students learn. So I, I started off talking about my, my friend Jeremy. And I said that God doesn't want us to just see our work as this kind of, as this block where we're like, you know, my other time when I'm at home, when I'm at church, I live for God. But, but there's this kind of 40 to 60 hour block in my week where I'm not really sure what it looks like other than, you know, don't cheat on my spouse, don't steal money, etc. I'm not really sure what it looks like to worship God in that. What I would say to Jeremy would be this, if I could go back and say this to him, and what I'd say to you would be this too, that God wants us to live full lives. He wants us to live lives where we worship him on Sunday by singing, by listening, by preaching, by learning, by greeting each other, by giving. We worship him in our homes, by serving our families. And we worship him at work, not just by being a nice person and sharing the gospel and praying, but by doing good work. God wants you to have the same satisfaction that God, set, that God has in Genesis 2, verse, verses 1 through 3 where it says God saw, and at the end, in, in, uh, in the end of chapter 1 as well, where it says that God saw everything that he had did, and it was good. It was very good. 
and so he rested. God wants you to have the satisfaction of working alongside of him as a fellow king and queen ruling under the authority of God and having the satisfaction of along with him looking at your work and seeing that it's very good and doing that for his glory. I don't think there's going to be missionaries in heaven. Because everybody's already going to know the gospel. There might be pastors. I don't know. But I think there'll be people that dig in heaven. And I think they're going to do a good job, and they're going to build really cool stuff, like the type of stuff you see at the end of the book of Revelation. Let me pray for us. God, I ask you to bless my brothers and sisters here. I just ask that you would, would you show us, Lord, in everything that we do tomorrow morning, in every email that we send, in everything that we design, in everything that we fix? Um, God, show us what it looks like for us to be your hands and your feet. Show us what it looks like to worship you in the work that you've called us to do. We pray that you'd be glorified with us every minute of every single day of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.